we're doing the, the final uh, one another uh, today. Um, I'm not sure how many one another's you've been here uh, to, to hear, but um, I, I was thinking some time ago about the one another's, uh, and I'm doing more than I originally thought I was going to be doing, and um, I had a plan to do a particular one another, and then I had another one another to do, and I wasn't sure how many one another's were left. And I was getting myself all confused, and I, and I was trying to remember what one another's had been done. And I thought, oh, I'll do love. Oh, whack, somebody's done love. And then I thought, I'll do, I'll do um, serve one another. That, uh, that would be something that would be close to my heart in terms of some of the example that I've seen in some of you. And I thought, oh, heck, that blooming Jude has gone and taken that one. And then all these different ones that came along. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if you're like me. Sometimes I try to process all these things. Sometimes I take notes. Uh, in, in, in the different one another's and I was thinking about that and I was thinking what do we do with all that we've got all these one another's we've got page one was uh, Grant did that one okay page two we've got forgive one another all these different things and, and as we're turning up to church on a Sunday or we, we're, we're coming in and think right okay now one another okay oh good there's something in the door greet one another that's how one ticked off right great great okay uh, and um, admonish one another. That fellow Paul Coles, he did that one. Admonish one. Ah, yes, yes. That person parked me too far away in the car park. I've admonished them this morning. There's two, two down. Great, great. Uh, uh, oh, tea and coffee. Lovely wee buns this morning. Lovely wee buns. Thanks very much. There's encouraged one another. That's three. That's three. Uh, how do I forgive one? Another? Oh, I'm going to forgive the guy who parked me too far away in the car park. That's four. That's four. Teach one another. Teach one. I, I'm going to sign up for Sunday school. I'll definitely, I'll definitely do that. Let's teach. And oh, I, we did it. We did. Uh, what was that? Carry each other's burdens. Oh, I'm going to share with someone about the burden of, of letting go of, of that person in the car park team who pushed me so far away over there. There's three things for the price of one on the one another's. And so the list goes on. Bear one another's burdens. Serve one another. Pray for one another. And, and you're sort of like, how do, how do I do all that? What do I do with all that? And what if we go on to another series, The Holy Habits? You're thinking, oh my word. And there's two things that occurred to me, and I don't know if they're that profound, but uh, one is this, that it's not, Grace Fellowship is not so much about what happens in here. It's what happens out there. Grace Fellowship, what we do with one another is primarily manifest out there. How much of a one another am I to you out there? And that's challenging. And the second thing, I suppose, is it's not a tick box list. Sure, it's not. It's something about heart monitoring, where, 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 where we're using God's word to kind of look and see, is there something that I'm missing here? Is there something that God needs to shape in me? Is there something under the guidance of his Holy Spirit that is wrong so that my shape of my heart, it, it, it's being changed by God's Holy Spirit within so that how I act is as a result of what's happening inside. As I seek to be uh, conditioned and challenged by God's word, to be spurred on by each other, I need to remember that it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so as we, as we look at this today, let's try and think of that, that it's not another tick box, it's just another symptom of what it is to be like Christ. Question, if we are part of a body, what impact can I have on you out there? 
Or what impact have I had on you? What impact have you had on me? What impact can you have on me? If we are part of this body, if we're meant to be one anothering, what difference has it made that I'm part of the body of Christ, that I am one of these things, a head or a foot or a toenail? What we're going to do today is we're going to have a wee look at, uh, we're going to take a visit to, if you like, a, a, a bunch of Christians, a letter that was written to a bunch of Christians. I'm not sure who wrote the letter. Uh, there's some different theories as to who wrote it. But a bunch of Christians who were thinking of giving up because it was pretty tough. Uh, there were Jewish Christians and they were thinking of going back to being Jews. Not all of them, just some of them. And uh, we're going to find in that message another, one another. Uh, and we're going to look at that and then we're going to bring our one another series to a conclusion. So this morning we're going to look at something which is listed in that passage, spur one another on. And it was part of one of the things that Grant brought to us a few weeks ago in the context of encouraging one another. And I realize that there's overlap and I rang Grant yesterday um, just to double check on this as well. But I really feel that this was a passage that I was uh, drawn to as I was praying about uh, what to share this morning in the context of one another. So before we turn to it, uh, which is in uh, Hebrews 10, just to mention a few things um, about it. It was written to encourage uh, the readers to remain faithful to their Christian faith. They were facing challenges. They were facing persecution both from the Romans but also from their own people because although they were still meeting in the synagogue, they were because they were associating with this new movement, uh, this cult, whatever it was, this thing called Christianity, this, this thing where people were following this, this guy called Jesus, they were therefore not just facing abuse from the Romans and persecution but they were also facing rejection from their own community. And to some of them, there was a, there was a bit of immaturity. Um, and so they were tempted to return to their old way of life, um, as well as attending the church. And there was no problem with attending the synagogue, but they were uh, starting to not go to church, starting to drift a little bit. And the writer is uh, deeply concerned, and he's saying to them, hold on, remain faithful, hold fast to what you've been taught, and so the first 10 chapters in Hebrews, which we're not going to look at this morning, is, is all about kind of the reason why that Jesus is who he is. He is superior. He is the Son of God, the promised Messiah. His sacrifice has made everything possible. Don't, don't go back to where you were. And so we're coming on to the second part of the letter right now, and it's the practical implications of following Christ. And the first two or three verses of what we're going to read now is a kind of summary of what has been accomplished. But the whole thing starts with the word therefore. So this is the theology. Now, this is how you should live as a result of that. So it's in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And you'll see some of this, how you should live in the second part, but a bit of a summary of what's gone before in the first two or three verses. So we're going to read from verses 19 to 25. <clears throat> therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the passage, is, it's, it's maybe just to jump straight in there is quite intense. And there's so much you could say about this passage that we're not going to say. But just to mention the first few verses, there's a summary of three massive privileges that we now enjoy. And as I say, we're not going to go into these in detail, but just to set the context. We have access to the Holy of Holies. This, this place in the synagogue that was reserved once a year for the high priest, that curtain was ripped, symbolizing that we have access now. We have access to God's presence. We have Jesus as our priest. He's the way, he's our guide. He's the guy who's mediating for us. He's praying for us now. And we have been cleansed from a guilty conscience. We have a tremendous privilege. Don't, don't go back. And the overarching burden is that he doesn't want them to return to Judaism, uh, to relying on Judaism. Um, because that was where they were facing the temptation because the suffering that they were facing was real. The temptation uh, to return to safety, to an easier life, was real. The returning to traditional, culturally acceptable life was real. And it struck me as I was thinking about this, what's that? How is that, you know, is there anything similar to where I am now? What, if, how can I relate to where they were? And I think there are some similarities. Because... I've been looking a wee bit at, um, at the whole context of what, what is church like in 21st century in, in my studies. <coughs> and one of the things I've been looking at very briefly, so I don't pretend to be an expert, is this uh, era called Christendom, this culture called Christendom. We've been learning about the implications of living, or I've been reading about living in a, what's called a post-Christendom era. Uh, and Christendom is defined as that sort of period in time when Constantine became a Christian and then designated the, the Roman Empire to favor Christianity and gradually Christianity moved from being a movement of being uh, a revolutionary, subversive movement to being an institution. That sounds very academic, doesn't it? Uh, but in reality, um, the church became so much more powerful and in the last couple of hundred years, 250 years, Christendom has been in decline. The influence in the church in the West has been in decline in the last 50 years. Unbelievably uh, quickly, Christendom has been crumbling. And we are uh, told that we're living in what's called a post-Christendom era. Um, in Northern Ireland, it's not just the same as it is in, in, in mainland UK, but, but there are aspects of it in this church institutional church is in decline the numbers are in decline and the problem one of the problems that the churches face is we're still living in a christendom culture although we're in a post-christendom era we're still doing things that would have been appropriate a couple of hundred years ago but maybe aren't just so appropriate today and uh, as i was thinking about this 
some of the characteristics that I see today in, in institutional church are this. There's a respectability still, a little bit, of being in church. There's a set of behaviors that are expected to be adhered to. And I'm accepted if I, if I sort of, if I adhere to those. Uh, there's, there's a kind of responsibility on the clergy, the professionals, to evangelize. There's uh, a safety in the institution of church. I can go within the walls of church and be kind of safe as long as I keep the head down outside church. And there's credibility that I gain out of attending church. Um, this is where I'm safe being an institutional serf. This is where I can get some degree of respect. And this whole sort of image of what Christendom or, or what this church culture struggles with was, was uh, sort of exemplified as I was looking at, um, I was driving along one day not that long ago um, between here and Bangor and, and I noticed uh, in a little village a cul-de-sac and there were all these houses in the cul-de-sac, maybe about 20 in a wee sort of alcove and there was a car sitting there with a megaphone literally aimed at the houses and there were about a dozen or so people dressed in suits and, and long dresses uh, singing a very outdated gospel hymn and there was something that really didn't sit right with me that there were, these people were trying to enjoy the big match or whatever and they were getting something very different now I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to be critical but it just illustrated for me the challenge that the church faces at the minute about trying to understand what is really important and should not change and actually what do we need to really examine and change and, and I mention all of that because that's going through my head at the minute. But the challenge for me is this. I am faced with the same temptation, I think, as these Hebrew Christians were faced with. I am faced with a choice, as they were, of institutional respectability and avoiding rejection of security and safety in, in sticking to religious patterns as opposed to living in a revolutionary way, a kingdom lifestyle out there. I kind of go there, keep the head down, tick the boxes, and don't lift the head when you get out there. I don't know if I'm being clear, but I realize that there is a temptation for me to live in a way that those Jews were kind of tempted to live, to go back to a lifestyle where they weren't facing abuse, where they weren't facing rejection, where they were kind of going to the traditional familiar things. And there was a big temptation in that because the other way was not necessarily too easy. And as I was thinking about this, I was came across, I don't know whether any of you read the SU notes word live, they're going through the churches of Revelation at the minute. And I was reading yesterday morning <coughs> about the church at Laodicea. And I'm going to quote to you what they said. Uh, and this is the, the church at Laodicea is the one that was lukewarm. Do you remember where, where, where John records that Jesus says, uh, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. And it says this, this. These are the notes I'm just going to quote directly. History records Laodicea as an affluent city, a place where it was dangerously easy to settle into a complacent, lukewarm mode of living. No special wickedness is recorded. 
here, yet this of all the seven letters is the one in which the Lord's words to his people are the most harsh. Lukewarm faith enrages Jesus. But he also records that Jesus loves them and he's calling them back to him. He says to them, be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And the sobering comment that the notes then made with this, most Christians lead. I don't know, you can analyze this yourself, but most Christians lead moderately comfortable, rather unspectacular lives. Dull rather than dramatic. In a sense, there's nothing too bad about that. But then it goes on, if we are moderately fine, semi-committed, inoffensive Christians, then maybe there's a warning for us. And certainly I feel there's a temptation for me to go for the route of Easyville, of Pleasant Town, of Safe City. Now, I have to say, this is really from the heart. When I experience life in this fellowship, and I share life with some folk in this fellowship, it's not my experience that I see it in their lives. And I'm not saying this with a conviction that this is something I see. It really isn't. I'm just saying that I believe there's a temptation in my life. There's a danger that I can opt for the easy way, the tick box way, the traditional route, the route that's safe. And so that's the context that these Hebrew Christians are faced with. And the next part of the letter that we're going to look at briefly now, he says, and since this is the danger, and since Jesus is the only way, here is what you should do if you don't want to go to Pleasant Town. If you want to live as Jesus asked you to live, as Jesus called you to live, as a follower of him, this is what you should do. And there are three things, as the Presbyterian writer of Hebrews says. The first one he says is this. Some of you here are familiar with our vision statement in here might recognize this. <clears throat> I'm not sure whether uh, when it was being considered, whether Hebrews was part of it. But look up. He said, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. It starts with sincere prayer. Lord, lead me. Lord, fill me. Give me the opportunity to serve you, Lord. What is it today that I can do to bring your kingdom here on earth? Be part of what I'm doing today, Lord. Don't let me go down Pleasantville. Don't let me go down Easy Town doesn't mean I've got to go and look for suffering, but help me to be courageous. Help me to find out the way that you want me to live today. Look up. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. And the second thing he says in verse 23, he says, look out. Verse 23 in, in the NIV says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In the New King James Version, it says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. And there are two parts to that. There's the hold on swervingly and there's the faith we profess. And that means words. Do you ever find it difficult? Do you ever wonder, how could I share my faith more effectively? I do. Uh, I know I'm not ashamed to be called a Christian. I'm not ashamed um, to share with people that, that I am a Christian. But sometimes I find it difficult to know how to start. 
And I, I, was, I was listening to a, a guy preaching about this not so long ago, and he talked about three things. He says it starts with prayer, which is good because that's what we're starting with. And then there's a bit of care in it because our neighbors are going to kind of know whether we're sincere if we care about them. But it has to involve share where we, where we say something. But we have to pick our moments. And I may have told you this before, but I, I remember hearing of this guy. I, I probably have because we've heard so many stories of Bethel. Um, long-sufferingly puts up with me. A, 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 about a guy, and he'd become a Christian quite recently, and he was on a bus, and he really felt convicted he had to share his faith. And he didn't know what to do. And he was all embarrassed. And he, and he really felt, oh, I need to share my faith. And uh, So he was on his way to Belfast. And this is a true story. Uh, and and uh, he saw that there was nobody getting off at the next stop. He wasn't meant to be getting off at the next stop, but he thought, I'll use this as my opportunity. And he got up and he went to the front of the bus and he said, Jesus really loves you. And then he jumped off the bus and ran down the street. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know how he felt, but how do you think the people on the bus felt? What a looper. I, I don't know what they thought. And, and, and I'm not saying he was a looper. Lord, I'm not saying he was a looper. But I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed by the Northern Ireland evangelical sanctimonious history. But I'm not embarrassed by Jesus. And I'm trying to work out, how do I get past that? And I was walking along, walking the dog yesterday, um, thinking about this as you do when you've got a sermon the next day. And I was thinking, there's my neighbor there, there's my neighbor. How much, yes, they know I'm Christians. I know that they know I'm a Christian. Um, and yes, I've shared this and that at times. How do, how do I do this more effectively? How do, I, how do I put this into practice? What does that look like? And as I walk along, there's a guy around the corner and he, 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 he would stop me often um, uh, and talk about rugby. And that's all I know about him. He's into rugby. And he said, well, are you watching the match today? It's on Sky. And I said, oh, you're joking, Sky. Uh, I said, no, I'm, I'm not anyway. I was going to tape it, but um, no, I can't. Cause I'm, and it just came out totally natural. I'm in the middle of thinking about a sermon for tomorrow. What sermon? Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm preaching in my local church. Where's that? And I said, we'll meet in the academy. Said, oh, do you? And he's here. No, he's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> stand up. But the conversation ensued. I told him I was studying theology and, and, uh, and some of the challenges that that brings. And I, it was only afterwards I thought, whoa, whoa. I had prayed and then I started walking and I was thinking about it. And there are, surely, aren't there? I think we all know the God opportunities that we need to look for if we want to share our faith. I don't know where that's going to lead, but I know a bit more about him, and he knows a bit more about me that's not just about rugby. And the third thing, when we've looked out, if we're sharing our faith, if we're looking up to God and starting the day by saying, let us draw near to God, if we're looking out to saying, Lord, what it is that you want me to do, there's a third thing that he says, and he says, look in. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love, and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Spur, you think of the spur, the, the, the cowboys, and they've got it in the boots, and it's kind of sharp wee thing. And the element of spur is not a, come on, horse, come on, horse. There's a kind of bit of an abrasive thing, isn't it? 
it's a kind of, and one of the other translations translates it, provoke, agitate towards good deeds. But there's part of this too, the word it says consider. There's an element of stopping and thinking about this, putting my task, my mind to the task of spurring. It's an action. How can I fire you up? This is, this is, and when I say you, I don't mean everybody here. I mean those that are close to me within this fellowship. Uh, those that I know maybe within home group. How can I stir up, or for you, how can you stir up Ally to do more of this stuff? It's kind of the opposite of saying, I don't give a stuff. Or it's like if the writer of Hebrews said, look, if somebody is sort of drifting away, don't worry about it. It's between them and God. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, let us consider how you might spur one another on to love and good deeds. How can I give Ali a kick up the backside because I care about him, not because he annoys me? And it's not a warm, sentimental feeling. It's literally, how can I provoke my brother or sister because I care about them towards producing fruit, towards looking up. How can I do that? And verse 25 goes on by not uh, giving up meeting together and encouraging one another. Romans 14, 7, for none of us lives, sorry, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. We are not an island and the Bible knows nothing about solitary faith. We have a responsibility to each other. If you care about me, I want you to not allow me to settle for easy street. I, I remember hearing a story years ago, and I'm sure half of you at least have heard of this story about the, the, the story of the duck congregation, this sort of church of ducks. I don't know, there's probably various various variations of this and I'm sure there's various denominations of ducks and so forth but there, 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 there's this church and it's, and it's attended by ducks and it's on the side of a lake and all the ducks are waddling along on a Sunday morning it's a lovely Sunday morning and a beautiful setting and they go into the duck church and Pastor Duck's there and he's waiting and he's got the message for the, for the ducks as they come in and there's lovely windows and there's the duck saints of the past on the windows and so forth and and Pastor Ducks there, and he says, you know, hey, fellow Ducks, fellow brother Ducks and sister Ducks, I want to tell you something this morning. He said, do you know these things here, these are wings, you know that? These aren't just for raising your wings in praise. You can actually fly. And I have a story to tell you about my brother Duck who was flying the other day. He flaps his wings. And the Ducks are looking at each other, quacking. and go, whoa, seriously? Yeah, and I want you to flap your wings and everybody's flapping their wings and the feathers are going everywhere and the ducks are hallelujah hallelujah yes and, and the, the wings are going up and yes you can fly you can fly did you know that you've been waddling all these years and you can fly and the ducks are so up in arms well they're up in wings <laughs> and, and, and they're so excited and, and it was a brilliant meeting and Pastor Duck went to the door and all the ducks came past him and told Pastor Duck how great service it was and then they waddled home uh, and there's something in that story that says to me fellow ducks don't let me waddle help me to fly that's what spurring each other's on is about don't forget what we are learning together help me fly 
we in our house group, which I think is a very natural outworking of some of this, we've created a WhatsApp group. For those of you older in the congregation, us youngsters will tell you what WhatsApp is. Many people are on WhatsApp. Okay? We've created a WhatsApp. It's like a text that you set up a group and you can send a wee text to that group and everybody sees it. And I, I, we have a sort of living conversation with each other. And we've set this WhatsApp group and it's called, it's called Our Frontline, Our Frontline. And it's based on the stuff we've been doing at home group. And many people have been doing home group, uh, what, what, uh, frontline. Many people have been doing the frontline. And it's been really good. I don't know about you, but it's been really challenging. And we've started posting. Well, it's only in its infancy. Started posting you know, things about our, our, our frontline so that we can pray for each other. I've got a frontline activity coming up now. I've got an encounter with someone, and I want you to pray for me. And people are going back, yes, yeah, okay, right. And the beauty of this is it's international. We've had... Uh, frontline enc uh, encounters in Dallas and in Downpatrick this week and we've been able to sort of think of the folk and pray for them uh, and there's an accountability with that and there's a spurring on with that so this church in Hebrews have been commended not just to look up but they have to start by looking up not just to look out but they have to look out but let's look in and as I was thinking about this, I was looking at the one or another series, and I was thinking, is this just something we've picked out of the air? And I, I did a wee search in my electronic version of the Bible, and, and I went through each of the letters, and I looked for the word another, one another. And it's in every single letter to groups of Christians. It starts in the, in the Gospel of John, and you can actually go to some of the letters to individual Christians, like Timothy as well. But let me just list for you some of the things just so you see the consistency of this message John 15 a new command I give you love one another Romans I won't give you the, all the references now if you need them come back to me be devoted to one another honor one another above yourselves what Corinthians agree with one another Galatians serve one another carry each other's burdens Ephesians bear with one another in love Philippians in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another. Thessalonians, encourage one another. Hebrews, spur one another on. James, don't slander one another. Peter, offer hospitality to one another. And 1 John, there's a lot about if we love one another. God loves, lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The New Testament calls us to a one another culture. Part of God's purpose in the body is mutual dependence, not just service to the needy. But let me, let me read this verse to you. It's an interesting verse. Galatians 6, verse 10. Therefore as, we have sorry, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers especially those who belong to the family of believers, there's a sense of not exclusivity, but a spilling out of how we, how we treat each other. So that when we make disciples and bring them into our community, they experience this lifestyle and it overflows. I don't pretend, uh, as I said before, I, I haven't studied Greek um, in, in any studies uh, at, at Bible college, but in preparation for this, I looked up what John Stott said on koinonia, which is the word that we use for fellowship. And sometimes we say, ah, oh, have a nice wee cup of tea. Good wee time of fellowship. Good wee time of fellowship. 
And we kind of do the word fellowship at this service, don't we? Um, it's not about warm feelings. It falls far short of what the word koinonia means. It's a verb which, uh, uh, the verb means to share. The adjective means it has got the connotation of being in common. And it's got an association of partnership. It is the uh, and generosity. And there are three things that John Stott points out that in the in New Testament fellowship is talked about. And it's actually got this feeling of up, out, and in as well. And we're nearly finished. But the first one is this. We've got to share. We, we, fellowship is about sharing in our common inheritance. We share. You and I share in the fact that we have the same God. We have the same fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We have the same Savior. We are coming together, sharing in the fact that we have the same inheritance. And as we come to the table shortly, we're doing that together as a fellowship because we share in that inheritance. And there's something very precious and important about that. There's a sharing out. Oh, sorry, I've gone too, gone too fast there. Go back one. There's a sharing. Uh, you can see that is the last slide, so there's hope. Um, there's a sharing out. And that's our common service. We, we read in Acts about the apostles, or the, the, the believers, selling things and giving them away. We've a shared out mission to make disciples. And we share that together. There's an element of generous giving as well as our, 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 our call to, to evangelism, if you like. And there's a sharing with. And that's our mutual responsibility, our partnership, our giving and receiving, our one another's. Paul talks about it in Romans, and he said that he longed to see them so that they could be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. The one another's are all about fellowship. Home groups, I think, are a great opportunity for us to experience koinonia in its fullest, of sharing in our common inheritance, of sharing with each other about our front lines, and about supporting each other as we seek to do that, and as we seek to uh, undertake some of the trials that life puts at us. So I want you, as we go away today, to make sure that I do this, that we keep one anothering each other, that we keep realizing who we are in Christ, that we keep to the fore the fact that we're in this together, as the song says. We're called the kingdom living, but I need you to spur me on. And you have a responsibility to do that. Not to me, but to each other. And if you're not connected to somebody else in this fellowship, you need to be. You need to have some connection with people who are going to love you, care for you, pray for you, spur you on, encourage you. I want to leave you with this verse in First Thessalonians. And it's our prayer. And it's this. May the Lord make your love and my love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else.